0: Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. God created humanity for a relationship with Him. Uh, We have each, in our own individual ways, rejected that, uh, thinking that life on our own terms will be better. That, that was the lie that was told in the garden. That if you walk away from what God has said you will do, life will get better. And we have each bought into that lie. And yet, it always makes life worse. We buy into that lie that if I can just get away from God, then I can be my own boss. I can do life on my own terms. I can have things my own way. But it, we never get the freedom that we're promised. We always end up in service of something. And whatever it is, it is something different for all of us. It might be our own pleasure, it might be the approval of others, our success, our money, our kids' success, whatever it might be. But we always find ourselves oppressed by that thing as opposed to stepping into the freedom we thought we could achieve. No matter what it is that we aspire to, no matter what it is that if you could fill in the blank, if I had this thing right now, my life would be complete, everything would have meaning, I would know that I've lived a meaningful life on this earth, whatever it is, it's always serving underneath the authority of sin and death. The things that have been corrupting God's good creation from the very first moment that humanity walked away from God. But God does not abandon us. Even when our rejection of him is what has gotten us in the mess to begin with. Time and time again, God liberates his people for life with him so that he might form them into who he's created them to be so that the world might know who God is and the relationship that he wants with us. And we've been unpacking that theme over the course of this sermon series that we are concluding today. Because if you trace the theme of God's liberation all the way across Scripture, we will find that it never quite seems to be completed. God frees his people at the Exodus out of slavery in Egypt. He calls them to reflect his glory to the world around them. And they do that at times, but at other times they wander away. They go worship other gods. They ignore what he says. God will raise up leaders who can bring his people back to him. and, And they will do that for a time, and then that leader dies and the problem starts over again god will call his people to go share his love with the surrounding world and yet they don't they don't want to And then Jesus comes and he brings the kingdom of God to earth. He invites us to come and be a part of it. He dies on the cross. He raises from the dead, which we celebrate today. He invites us to participate in that story by passing through the waters of baptism and stepping into a life with God, being liberated from sin and death. And yet, we still step into that life in a broken world. I don't know if you had an experience like this when, it, when or if you have been baptized, but I can remember coming down the steps of the baptistry and having a moment of thinking like, everything still kind of seems the same. Now, I was much younger then. I have a deeper understanding of all that was going on in that moment now than I did at that point in my life. But it's still the reality that even when we step into life with God, we still do it in the midst of a broken world. We, we've been liberated The kingdom of God has come into this world through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and yet we still find ourselves living in the territory of our former oppressors. But the good news is that our story of liberation is not over. God freed his people in the Exodus. They spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness as God prepared them for their home in the promised land. And in the same way, God has set us free and he is leading us home. And the last book of our Bible, the book of Revelation, gives us a glimpse of the home that awaits us, so that as we live in this world, we might be people that live with hope. Now, you might be here for the first time this morning, and you heard me say the word revelation, and you got really excited because you've got your own opinions on what's going on in that book, or you're here for the first time, and you heard me say revelation, and you started looking for the nearest exit, and if you're not feeling either of those emotions right now, you're We'll try to get you to one or the other before the morning's over. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Because this book brings about strong reactions. And that's a shame. Because those strong reactions, whatever direction it is, they they tend to distract us from the point of this book. The point of this book, the point of the book of Revelation is that it would bring hope for people who are uncertain and hurting. Uh, This book is written to seven churches in what is today Turkey, and they are all sorting out what it means to follow Jesus in a difficult world. Some of them are dealing with the problem of persecution. They are facing the the prospect of losing money, or their business, or their home, or maybe even their life because they believe in Jesus. Some of them are fighting false messages in their midst. They either have teachers that are saying things that are not faithful to what Jesus has taught, or they are... living life, having, have behaviors that are not in line with the teachings of Jesus. Some of them are in lives that are simply comfortable, uh, whether because of the pressures of the world or just the, the realities of life. They have settled into an existence where Jesus is in the background while they live life on their own terms. And I say all of that to say that I think the book of Revelation is written for people like us. This book uses symbolism and imagery to wake us up so that we could listen to God's call, so that we could repent of our sins, so we could live as God calls us to live, so we could hold on to Jesus so that we might find our way home. So whoever you are this morning, I firmly believe this book has something for you, and I hope you will see that and step into the life that God desires for you. This book is written for churches that are in crisis to varying degrees but interestingly enough this book does not begin by addressing the crisis which is not how we tend to function when you're in the middle of crisis dealing with whatever it is the thing you want most is an answer to the problem there's a chance that you're here this morning because you've gone through something in the last week or the last month or the last year and you don't know what to do about it so you thought maybe if I come to church on Easter Sunday I'll get the answer I'm looking for and if that's you I'm glad you're here but I think it's interesting that the book of Revelation does not start with our problems. It begins by showing us who Jesus is, so that we can then have a foundation to deal with whatever it is that we face. i want to read from Revelation 1, verses 9 to 20 for us. It says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, as I'm sure we all would. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are seven churches. This book is written to real people with real problems, calling them to life with the real, calling them into real life with Jesus. And in order to do that, it starts by giving us a picture of the real Jesus. There's a lot of symbolism happening in all of that passage that we just read, and if it lost you somewhere along the way, the point of it all that I hope you can take away is that Jesus sees all and rules all. He is perfect in every way. He has authority over all the earth. He's resurrected from the dead. Nothing happens without him knowing about it. His word is final. He reigns then, now, and forever, and that is who we worship. Too often, our vision of Jesus is far too small. We think Jesus is a good guy. He wants me to go to church. He wants me to be nice to people. And as long as I steer clear of the major sins of life, as long as I don't murder anyone, he'll be sure to answer my prayers when I ask him. And if that is our understanding of Jesus, our portrait is far too small. This passage gives us a glimpse of who the real Jesus is. He rules for all time. He sees all things. He's in complete control. So I say all of that to say if you are uncertain, if you are hurting this morning, take comfort in the fact that Jesus is not just in heaven, keeping an eye on you to make sure you behave. He is in heaven, ruling over the universe. He sees and he knows all things for all time. And yet, that's only half the story. Because as John sees Jesus in all his glory, he is overwhelmed. He falls down as though dead. But But instead of leaving him there in fear, you notice as we read, Jesus reaches down and touches him and tells him not to be afraid. Because as overwhelming as all this is, it shouldn't cause fear. Jesus rules over all things, and yet he is not distant. He cares. For people that are uncertain or hurting or fearful or worried, Then now Jesus comes to us and he says do not be afraid he has conquered sin and death he reigns over all things and he comes near and for that reason we can trust in him no matter what when life is uncertain we remind ourselves of who we follow We don't buy into the fears of this world. We don't trust that we can make it through. If I just try a little harder, if I just start getting up a little earlier, if I just read a self-help book or, or find some life hack, then that'll get me through whatever it is I'm going through right now, at least until the next crisis in life hits. We don't do that. We remind ourselves that Jesus rules over all things, and he draws near to us, and that is our foundation. No matter what you're going through right now, Jesus is in control, and he is near to you, and that will always be true. He has died and risen from the dead. So you can be brought home into life with him. Because that is who Jesus is, he then has a message for these seven churches. And to each one of them, Jesus will say, I know. Now hearing those words from someone in control and authority can be either comforting or terrifying depending on the situation. If you're going through something difficult, you're hurting, you're going through whatever it is, you're just barely hanging on and someone comes to you and says, I know, that can be a real comfort to have someone say, I know what you're going through, I've been there, it's going to be okay, I'm here for you, I'm with you. On the other hand, if you're covering up some kind of sin or lie or deception or cheating or on something, whatever it might be, and someone comes to you and says, I know, that's terrifying because your attempts to cover things up have been found out and to all seven of these churches jesus will at some point say i know and sometimes it's a good thing and sometimes it's not sometimes jesus will say i know what's happening i'm i know you're hurting i'm here for you i am with you hold on to me do not give up and to some of them he will say i know i I know what you're doing I know the sin you're living in, and I'm not going to let it go on forever. So repent so that you might be restored. To each church, Jesus reminds them who he is and what it means to follow him. Because these real people need to be reminded of who Jesus is and the life that he calls them to. And today, just as then, I think we need to know that Jesus knows. He knows what we're going through, whether it's good or bad. He wants to meet us in that so that we might have life with him. And so for those of us that are just barely hanging on, wonder if we can make it through another week, Jesus says to us, I know, I know. I'm here for you. I am with you. Hold on to me. Do not give up. And for those of us that are content, comfortable in a life, uh, lived on our terms with Jesus in the background, he says, I know what you're doing. And the end result of what you're doing leads to death, and I don't want death for you, so repent and come back to me so that you can have life. Jesus knows and desires every part of our life to be formed by the liberation he brings so that he might bring us home. And to show us that he has authority to say all these things, Chapter 4, then, of this book shifts our focus to heaven, because things on earth seem chaotic and in crisis, but we find that heaven is not teetering on the brink. It is in worship of God, as it is always. And we need to know heaven's perspective on things if we intend to live as God's people. At first glance, it might seem out of touch. That I'm going through real troubles in life. Have you looked at the news? Have you looked at what's going on in my life? Have you looked at social media? Look at all the problems in this world. And heaven's too caught up in a 24-7, 365 church service to do anything about it. But that's not the perspective we find. Actually, heaven gives us the perspective we need. We can't do anything about any problems in our lives or in our world if we do not begin with worship. Before we do anything, we proclaim God is our creator and any good we do is a response to what he has done. And when we follow heaven's example, we can be confident no matter the uncertainty because God reigns eternally. We cannot trust God fully until we first worship him properly. No matter what life throws at us, we start with worship. We echo the statements of heaven we get in this chapter, statements like in verse 8 where it says, day and night, the crowd around the throne of God in heaven never stops saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. God is holy and reigns over all things forever, therefore we praise Him. We echo the proclamation of verse 11 in this chapter that says, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. God is worthy of all praise for all time because he's created all things, he rules over all things, and therefore we praise him and find our understanding of who we are and what is going on in our world in light of the one we worship. The truths we proclaim, that God is holy and perfect and worthy of praise for all time. That is the bedrock of every part of life. And the rest of this book unpacks how the worship taking place in heaven makes its way to earth as God restores all things. The scene continues in chapter 5 by telling us God is holding a scroll, but no one's worthy to open it. And John is distraught when he hears this news because John's been tasked with passing on a message to the seven churches. And if anything has a message for churches, it's surely a scroll, and yet no one can open it. And right when he's about to give up hope, he's told in Revelation 5.5 to look, to not weep, because the lion of the tribe of Judah The root of David has triumphed, and he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. There is a conquering lion on the way, someone powerful who is going to open this scroll, but when this lion shows up, it is not exactly what we expected. It's a lamb, standing, even though it looks like it has been slain. And this is the one who is worthy to take the scroll. This standing slain lamb is the lion who has conquered. And that right there is a picture of the story of Easter. The Lion of Judah is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus conquered. He reigns because he was slain on the cross and rose from the dead. And because he has done this, he is worthy to open the scroll. He's worthy to reveal what the future holds. He is worthy to lead us home. And when he takes the scroll, heaven breaks out in praise again. In Revelation 5, starting at verse 9, it says they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voices of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice. They were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Jesus has conquered through his death. The lamb who was slain now reigns. And that is the truth of Easter, and that truth transforms everything. Jesus reigns, and he invites us into his kingdom. We follow the lamb who was slain into the life God desires for us. The middle section of this book gives us a series of cycles to describe God's judgment of evil and his liberation of his people. And those chapters don't lay out a timeline for the future, but they give us a framework to help understand what is happening in the world to remind us that God is in control even in the midst of chaos. We can know that God is still at work, he's still concerned about us, he still cares, he is still doing away with evil, still fulfilling his promises, still accomplishing his purposes just as he always has. And that happens in a lot of ways through those chapters, but one of the ways it shows up is by drawing our mind back to the exodus. As John is describing God's judgment, he will describe it like the plagues from the book of Exodus at times. This place where God brings judgment on an evil, oppressive, and godless nation so that his people might be set free. And he uses that imagery to remind us God has not changed. He's still opposed to evil. He still desires to set his people free. He still is going to defeat wickedness, godlessness, and oppression so that his people can come home. And John uses all this imagery to give his readers, including you and me, insight into who the true enemy is. For the seven churches that John is writing to here, they might think that the, their enemy is the Roman Empire. And in our day today, we might think that the enemy is a person or a political party. And John would tell us that's not the case. It's not the people that don't worship like us or don't look like us or don't vote like us or don't spend their money like us or don't listen to the music we listen to or don't live where we live. The enemy of God's people always has been Satan himself who has been opposed to God from the beginning and cannot stop God's purposes but tries to destroy his people through the power of sin and death. That is our enemy. And we should be aware of that fact because he tends to do his best work when we're distracted and don't realize he's present. When he causes us to fight amongst ourselves instead of loving one another. When we focus on the non-essential things that get in the way of our calling to love God and love people as God has loved us. Christ has conquered the weapon Satan uses against us through his death and resurrection. So we should not fear him or give him a foothold. We can be aware of his schemes and know that we overcome by the power of Christ as we step into life with God. The view of the world of life from God's perspective I don't have kids myself but I've been told by those that have multiple kids that parenting the second or the third or the fourth child is a lot different from parenting the first one that when you're parenting the first child it's like a pacifier goes on the ground things got to decontaminate for three days before you'd even think about bringing it in, in the same room as that kid again and by the second or the third kid pacifier goes on the ground you maybe take the time to wipe your sh- wipe it on your shirt before you plug it right back in and we can laugh about that because if you've been through that, you know that when you get further along, you have a broader perspective, you understand life a little better, and it changes how you engage the world around you because of that. And I say all of that to say that over the course of these chapters in the book of Revelation, John is trying to move us in that direction to have that perspective. That we might we might think or his readers might think as he's writing this, this book that the empire the authorities over them they are just going to reign forever and ever they keep getting stronger and stronger which means life is just going to get more and more difficult for us everything's going downhill what are we going to do it's all falling apart at the seams we might think in our own day that everything's going downhill nothing's ever going to get better there's nothing we can do about it and john would want us to look at things from god's perspective It's a perspective that doesn't ignore evil in this world, but it calls us to remember that because of the story of Easter, sin and death do not win the day. Christ is conquered in his death and resurrection, and that means whatever it is that might cause despair, if it's the sin living within us, if it's the brokenness we witness in our world, if it's disease running rampant in ourselves or in a loved one, we know that it doesn't last forever, because Christ will return to make all things new. The powers of sin and death might seem to be winning battles right and left, but they have lost the war because God is bringing his kingdom into the world and the worship of heaven will permeate all creation so that we might be home with our God. And we get a glimpse at the end of that story. In the last two chapters of this book, as Jesus shows up to do away with all evil, sin, and death for all time and bring his people the victory they've been waiting for, we're given a glimpse at God's restored creation to give us hope for the future to ground us in the present because this story is not over. Christ will one day lead us home and we look forward to that day. I want to read a little bit of that description in Revelation 21 verses 1 to 5 where it says that then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is the home we look forward to. God will make all things new so sin and death can be gone and God's people can live in God's presence for eternity. The sea is gone, not because God's opposed to the beach, but because in the ancient world the sea represents chaos and God's restored creation contains none of that. In verse three, it says, "We will be His people, and God will be our God. God will be near to us." The day before Whitney and I's wedding, she has a video on her phone. She's having a conversation with our youngest nephew, and she asks him, "After you know, after we get married, are you going to call Monty Uncle Monty?" To which he responds, "No, because he's not going to be my uncle." I don't know what he knew that I didn't know in, in that moment about how families work, but anyway. Uh, When he asked him, okay, so then what are you going to call him? And he responded, he's going to be my Monty forever and ever. And yes, I know that's adorable. And then, that got more of a laugh first hour, or first service. Uh, And then he got distracted, and he went on a monologue about how uh, concrete gets made. So I don't know, you know, that's how kids are, I guess. Kind of killed the moment. But that line, my Monty, shows a relationship with whoever it is in your life that you are close with that you might use that sort of language for, it shows intimacy. And something similar is going on here when John says he will be their God and God will be their, God will be his people. God has always desired to come near. And now he is nearer than ever before. This promise has always been there that one day God will be able to say you are my people and I am your God and now it has finally happened. And God comes so near that he is able to wipe the tears from our face. He's able to say to us, there is no more death or mourning or crying or pain. He's done away with it all. Our liberation has come. The hope of Easter is fulfilled. And we have made it home. Jesus has died and risen from the dead so that this future might be ours. This is what God has always intended. One last passage I want to look at comes in Revelation 22, verses 1 to 5, where it says, "Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Before creation was corrupted, humanity lived in God's presence in a garden. At the end of the story, that is true again. There was a river With a tree giving life that yields a harvest of fruit once a month, there's no more curse, no more brokenness, nothing that God did not intend to be a part of his creation. God's people are able to see God's face, something that has been impossible for humanity to survive since sin entered the world. God's people enjoy God's presence perfectly forever. This is the end of the story. Darkness does not have the last word. Sickness does not have the last word. Sin does not have the last word. Addiction does not have the last word. Death does not have the last word. The presence of God making all things new has the last word. This is what we look forward to because Jesus is alive. This new creation has started to break into our world at the resurrection of Jesus. And these chapters show us how it will one day come in full. This is the home we've been looking for. C.S. Lewis gives us a glimpse of this at the end of the Chronicles of Narnia where he says all their life in this world, all their adventures in Narnia, had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. If this is the first time you've ever set foot in this building or if you were here every single Sunday, I got out of bed this morning so that I could tell you this, that God is calling you home. No matter how far away you are, God wants a relationship with you. He loves you more than you could know. Whatever joys we experience in this life are a drop in the ocean compared to the joy He desires for us with Him. So don't settle for life on your own terms. Don't settle for a life motivated by money or success or your own glory or whatever it might be because the best things that those areas of life will ever be able to give you last until the end of this life and no further. The life God desires for stretches into eternity in his presence. Don't settle for reading the title page when God has an entire story he wants to write. This is the home you were made for. I don't know where it is on earth you would say you feel most comfortable most at home, but the comfort and joy you feel there is nothing compared to to what God desires for us. And when we know how the story ends, it changes how we live in the middle of the story. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be entering into a new sermon series where we are unpacking what that looks like But that series is just one part of our desire as a church to know who Jesus is and step into the life he has for us. So if you've never followed Jesus, if you've never passed through the waters of baptism, if you're doing the best you can right now but don't know the way forward, do not walk out of this building today without having a conversation with someone. That is what we are at that Welcome Center for after church each and every week, to talk, to pray, to encourage one another as we follow Jesus together. So wherever you are this morning, take that next step into life with Christ as you walk with him on the journey home. Pray with me. God, we thank you that you've conquered sin and death to set us free and that you invite us into life with you, a life that is what we were created for. God, I ask that no matter who we are where we are this morning, that you would meet us where we are so that we might take a deeper step into life with you. God, for um, those of us that are hurting, would you comfort us so that we might know the hope of the resurrection? For those of us uh, that need to take a step into life with you for the first time, God, would you make it clear uh who you are, what you're calling them into, and what that looks like. For those of us that need to repent of sin, God, would you um, create space for us to be able to do that for to you and to those that we trust around us so that we might be healed? God, for each and every one of us, we want to step into this life with you that starts now and stretches into all eternity, so fill us with your spirit so that we might know what that looks like. We ask all this in your son's name. Amen. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged by this message given by our own senior pastor, Monty French.